Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, I just want to do this real quick. So, right, right? So, for those of you who weren't here, I was kind of a, a mess, a hot mess coming in. I had torn my Achilles heel. Um, so, if that's the, 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 the Achilles goes all the way down to the foot. So, basically, for eight weeks, I couldn't walk, and I was hobbling around here on scooters and on crutches and all that good stuff. But now I'm about 85%. I still hobble a little bit, uh, but no crutches or scooters. So, I'm praising God for that and uh, excited to be at a stand here. Uh, ten toes down. Amen. Uh, like you said, my name is Mozart. Uh, I get the rich pleasure of being with you all for the next two weeks. So I'm here this week and next Sunday, um, which I'm excited for because um, this is probably my favorite part of the season other than summer because you get heat with summer versus now. Um, but my, the, the thing that I'm so excited about about this season is that it's a season called Advent. Uh, Advent is the, the four weeks or four Sundays leading up to Christmas, and it's been celebrated and commemorated for centuries now. So people like yourselves have gathered in homes and in buildings and on, in villages for centuries to celebrate this thing called Advent. Advent, simply put, just means the coming. Uh, the coming of a special or royal or important person. And, and what we're talking about, obviously, is Jesus. That's why we're here today, is, is to talk about the coming of Jesus that happened around 2,000 years ago. Um, but but it was, it was this, this anticipation for it, leading up to it, that I think we're not as familiar with, that there are people waiting and waiting for the advent before Jesus was ever born in a manger to a virgin. And, and so... Can you imagine being a child, which I'm sure all of us have been a child at one point or another. Most of us did not. not no, I'm just saying all, none of us. None of us showed up fully formed adults. Right. Um, but you can imagine as a child those days leading up to Christmas or at least the one that was special to you, because not every Christmas is special uh, as a kid. Sometimes we have hard times. I know I did. But the one that was like, man, the Nintendo's coming. Right. Um, you can remember the anticipation. Like, I really hope. I really hope it happens this year, right? Like as a kid, it's, it, Halloween just went by and then Thanksgiving went by and you're like, all right, four weeks, we're gonna get that thing. And, and it just used to build up and build up and you start shaking the presents and, and you get excited and you see the signs of that present and you're like, oh, I think it might be coming. I think it might happen. And then it's not a Nintendo, it's something else, <laughs> right, yeah. right? I remember one time it wasn't a Nintendo. It was a license plate cover made of barbed wire, which I was like, Grandma, I appreciate your thoughtfulness, but I'm not sure why you did that. I'm not not the barbed wire kind of guy. Um, but nonetheless, there's this anticipation for the coming of something special. So the story of Christmas actually is a story that starts well before that. And so if you're looking at the Bible and you're starting at the beginning of the book, that's actually where the anticipation starts. The anticipation starts when uh, you have the Adam and Eve, the, the consummation of creation by God, where he says, hey, I have these two individuals. I have humans that I have made in my image. They bear my stamp of who I am and they embody that as they express my image to the world. Right. That, that's that's the beginning of the story. But we, as we know that the, the curse of the power of sin comes in the world and all of a sudden there's this narrative of the people being sent out from the presence of God. And there's this moment, though, I think I think it's in yeah, Genesis 315, where where 
God curses the serpent, the, the deceiver of the people, and says, hey, the, the, the womb of this woman, the child from this woman will stomp on the head of that serpent, meaning ending the power of the serpent, of the deceiver, right? And from that mark forward, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, were looking and longing for thousands of years for the child that would be born to step on the head of the serpent, to end the power of sin and death. And so when we think about Christmas, the Jewish Christmas anticipation is actually the celebration of the Advent that we're talking about. Like there's this waiting for redemption. There's this, this anticipation. It's so, so, so much so that uh, if you're looking in the book of 1 Samuel, for instance, there's a guy named Samuel who was born to a woman named Hannah. Hannah couldn't conceive, and then all of a sudden she bore a son. She was super old, like a lot of the folks in the Old Testament, and she wasn't supposed to be able to have a kid, but then she had a kid, and she was excited. And the interesting thing about Hannah, though, if you look at her prayer, you can tell that she's longing for that child to actually be the future Messiah, the Christ. They were looking. Every kid was born. They were like, hey, maybe this is Christmas. Maybe this is the Nintendo, so to speak. Right? That was the anticipation. Now, Samuel was not. Samuel was a wonderful man and a great prophet, but he was not the Messiah. But every child born, then and there and there and there, there, going beyond through the centuries, through the thousands of years, the Jewish people were like longing for this Messiah to come, to bring about redemption. And so then it lands us into the story that we get to be a part of, right? So we're actually a part of a story that started back from the beginning that even continues on today. And, but the, the story had its culmination, its climax, the epicenter of it all, when the God of the universe was born as a human baby. And so that's where we find ourselves this morning in the text of Matthew, which is one of the four Gospels. And, and Matthew has this unique way of telling a story where he gives you, he like puts you to sleep for a minute by telling the whole family lineage of Jesus. But let me tell you why that's an important part of that whole thing real quick. Here's why it's important in the story. He's pointing backwards to say, hey, this has been a part of the journey all along. So that, and then secondly, when you read the names of some of the women specifically in Jesus' lineage, you find that there are a lot more people in, in the God of the universe, son's lineage that look a little bit more like us than they look like the homogenous group of men that they had going through the ages. So they had Gentile women who didn't necessarily have the, the cookie cutter storyline. It wasn't a Christmas card kind of gene genealogy story, right? And it was all to basically say that the central theme of all of this is that that God was forming and raising up a family of different races, ethnicities and even different types of people. And so Matthew's laying that all out to say, hey, hold up now. I'm going to get to the good news, but I want to let you know that you get to be a part of that. OK. And so then we're picking it up in verse 18 in the text. And this is my favorite story. This is this is about a dude named Joe. I'm going to call him Joe. Joseph is, is how he says in the Bible. I like calling him Joe. It's a little bit easier. Rolls off the tongue. Everybody knows a Joe, right? Joes are good dudes usually. Uh, and then there's Mary. And, and so what we're looking at is, is simply this story here that highlights the, the coming of this Messiah, the anticipation of the advent of Christ Jesus, our Lord, coming in. And so I'm going to read the first couple of verses and, and we'll talk about it. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. 
His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Came together means they had intimacy as a couple. Before any of that happened, this baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Uh, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So what we have here in this story is that, that we see justice actually has the mercy components in it, or, or we see justice in the act of mercy. And I'll explain that here in a minute. But basically what you have is this couple, and they're most likely teenagers. The estimates for Mary is that she's around the age of 14. Uh, and then uh, Joseph's probably 19. So we have the first teen pregnancy in scripture. Helpful to see that. That was a joke. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> I had a kid when I was 16. So I'm like, I can play in that joke just fine. Um, so, um, <laughs> But so you have these two people who are betrothed. So betrothed basically is engagement, but we have to see it a little bit differently because engagement at that time actually was legally binding because there was money exchanged. Okay, so what would have happened is that uh, Mary's parents most likely found Joseph and said, hey, Joe's a good dude. So therefore, we'd like you to marry our daughter. And so then what would happen is that there would be an exchange of funds from her family to Joe to say, hey, here you go, you should marry her. And, and there'd just be this exchange between the two people. And, and, and so they would, they would basically be engaged for about a year before they got married. But a part of Jewish law and even Roman law was like, hey, you don't touch her until the wedding day. So you have this, right? This scenario where you have the Holy Spirit of God. Holy Spirit comes in and says, hey, I'm going to make you pregnant with the Son of God. And Mary knows about this, which we find out a little bit later on because she was told uh, ahead of time by an angel as well. But that's not where our story is. Our story is Joe finds out that his girl is pregnant and doesn't know what to do. Because Joe's sitting there thinking, if I'm Joe, my girl's pregnant and it ain't mine. That's a scandalous moment, right? Like if, if, if I'm in that situation with Joe, I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't know if I'm okay. I'm not, I don't know if I'm godly enough to be Joe, okay? But here's the beauty of this story is that when it says the Holy Spirit gave her Jesus, it also is a reflection back to the story that I referred to in Genesis 3.15, where the seed of the woman will stomp on the head of the servant. I have an image that I like to show for that, this right here. It's a beautiful image. So the woman on the left is representative of Eve, and the woman on the right is, is representative of Mary. And Eve is touching Mary's stomach, but look at Mary's foot. You see, the Holy Spirit gave the Messiah, gave the, had the advent of royalty coming in to stomp the head of the serpent, to stomp out Satan's sin and death. You see, we get to play a part in that game as well because the Holy Spirit has done that for us as well. The Holy Spirit has given us Jesus and, it, and the Holy Spirit bears witness to that fact, right? Romans 8, 14 through 16 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons or also known as children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery, but to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You see, this is just a, a glimpse 
of that the Holy Spirit not only gives Mary Jesus to bear the Messiah, but we are also in turn given Jesus because of it, which stumps out the power of sin and death. But the point here, back in the text, that was just more of a footnote, is that justice has mercy. So Joe finds out, and um, she may not have told him beforehand, but he found out, because, you know, usually pregnancy exposes itself eventually. Um, and, and so Joe, being a faithful man, he, he, was, he was waiting till marriage, and he finds out that his girl's pregnant, and so he, 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 he approaches this in a way that was a little bit of justice, but different. You see, like I said, in this context, it was it was legally binding that he actually divorce her and expose her. So it was so. So so you have to ask the question, though. So how is this just if she didn't do anything wrong? And yet he's divorcing her anyway. Right. So how is it seen as righteous? Well, it's seen as righteous because let's just go from Joe's perspective. Let's start out with Joe. Joe doesn't know what she did. Right. Joe doesn't know the scenario that the Holy Spirit there. So in his mind, he's like, look, she did me wrong. But at the same time, I'm going to do this quietly so it doesn't expose her. Right. Because for us, we're like, what about forgiveness? What about a second chance? No, no, there is no second chance. So based on Roman law, if you were not to divorce your wife who cheated on you, Basically, what would happen is he would be considered up for legal charges for basically selling his wife out for sex work. Right. All of a sudden, it becomes more scandalous for him than it would be before. But not only that, but his reputation would be on the line because the people around him are like, oh, I know what happened with that dude. He messed up. Right. Like he did something wrong. So that would affect his business. That would affect his livelihood. That would affect his social circle. That would affect his entire life. For him to do this quietly to begin with, but also to not divorce her meant some circumstances that were outside of his own control. So he agreed to marry her in exchange for a financial contribution. So as far as Joe knew, hey, she did the deed, but I'm, I'm going to still do it quietly. And so he's under a lot of pressure. And so Matthew shows us that justice ought to be worked out in tandem with compassion, because here's the catch. If Joe does it quietly, the impact of her supposed actions don't weigh as heavily on her. That's why it's just. That's why it's merciful, because he's like, hey, look, if I treat her like the image bearer that she is, who bears the image of God, the, the impact, the shame, the ridicule that might be put on her is less. That's merciful. Again, if I'm Joe, I am not that holy. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay. So this pregnancy would already ruin things for Mary. So because the reality is for Mary, they were in a, what I would say, an overtly patriarchal society. What I mean by that is that every man worked and women who married men were fully dependent on him for survival. And if all of a sudden she's divorced, she's already going to be subs like she, she's going to be kicked out. She's not going to have an economic upswing for herself. She's going to be alone and the chances of remarry so that she might be in a better financial position is pretty, very, very low. So her life is already going to be ruined. And so Joseph said, hey, I, I don't want to take this public because I don't want you to have great shame. 
Because mind you, here's another part of, of, of the scenario is that she would get great shame. She would be basically exiled. And what Joe would get in the deal is he'd be seen great in his own community. Like, and there's a profitable upswing for Joe because guess what he gets to keep? The dowry and any inheritance that he was supposed to have by marrying her, he'd get to have it. So Dude would have got rich off the deal if he would have followed through in the way that everyone else did. But instead he chose mercy and compassion. So how do we fit into this? So we think of justice typically as mostly punitive. Here's what I mean by that. You get what you deserve because you did something wrong. That's typically how we think of justice. However, God has a much fuller picture of justice, which includes mercy and compassion. And so like in Joe's day, here's the issue that we usually run into is that people in the church or within religious circles, we don't do a really good job of re responding to things that might be deemed wrong or shameful. Am I right? So like in Mary's time, women with babies and no husbands or partners often end up still in economic social difficulties. They sometimes can't make enough to provide and also are playing the role of two different parents. My mom had a similar life. And so here's what we can learn from 19 year old Joe. Here's what we can learn. The pursuit of justice or the pursuit of right and wrong should not simply be marked by telling people what is right and what is wrong, but it also should be marked by compassion and mercy that supports our convictions of what is right. Listen, instead of condemning, Jesus would have started out by helping. So God shows up in the places where we typically are condemned and shamed and instead comes in and offers mercy and compassion, right? And that's what's happening in the story with, with, with Joe and, and Mary is that Joe is saying, hey, I want to show up with mercy and compassion in this scenario, right? Like all of us, I think at some level have done something or, or thought something. Like, have you ever been in a scenario, I know I have, where you either made a decision or you almost made a decision. I know it looks like I'm going to fall off. I won't, I promise. Um, that basically like ruined your life or at least ruin the perception of what your life could have been, right? That's the scenario that Mary's in. It's, it's like, man, this, this one thing right here ruins everything. And the response most of the time within human circumstances, shame, guilt, condemnation, and you deserve it because of what you did. But not with God. <laughs> not with Joe. They show up and say, no, 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 no. There's forgiveness. There's mercy. There's compassion. There's understanding. All present in the reality of what God is offering. Let's keep going. Uh, Matthew 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill the, what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be, be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
You see, the whole thing is not simply pointing to Joe and Mary, but it's pointing to the, the goal. The ultimate goal is God with us. So Joe's sleeping. He's taking a nap. Now, I don't know what kind of naps y'all taking, but I usually don't get angels showing up in mine. <laughs> but here's the thing, though. Here's what we can learn from Joe real quick, though, is that Joe didn't go out and make the decision right away. He slept on it. We could probably learn a little just just a little note for life that every now and then in a big decision, you might want to sleep on it before you just pull the trigger on it like and just go anyway. So this angel shows up in the guy's dream. He says, don't be afraid. It's not what it looks like, Joe. She didn't do it. It was the Holy Spirit, which I don't know about you. That's a little wild to tell somebody in their dream like, hey, um, so your girl, you know, she didn't step out on you, but God did step in on you a little bit here. And she's going to give birth to the savior of the world. Right. That's a heavy weight. I want to bow out of that one. Um, he says, here's your role. You get to name the baby, but it's the name that we give you is Jesus. OK, so like he has no part in that game whatsoever. But but he says that he would save your people from their sins. So remember that longing, that anticipation that I was talking about. There was a microcosm of that anticipation called the exile, where the Babylonian Empire takes over the Israelite people and basically uh, makes them exiles in their own land. Like he it was a terrible thing. And then the prophet Jeremiah said, hey, there's going to be 70 years, but then God will set you free. You remember the verses of Jeremiah? What is it? Twenty nine eleven, where it talks about I came to profit you and, and to save you and rescue you and all of these beautiful things. But here's what happened, though. Four hundred and ninety years go by. Just a little bit different math than 70 years. Basically, it was 70 weeks of years that had gone by and not just simply seven years, 70 years. And so it was four hundred and ninety years of being in exile, being in basically ruled by other people. And at this point, they've been exiled and ruled over by the Roman Empire, which is some of the most vicious people who ever ran on the planet. They were so powerful that they ran the planet for 400 years. Just to give you context, this little bitty island that we're on right now has only been in power for just over 250 or so. Okay? 400 years. Nobody was messing with the Romans. And all of a sudden, the Messiah shows up and says, no, 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 I'm going to redeem y'all. The angst, the anticipation, I'm going to redeem it. I'm going to free you from the power of sin in your life right now. And so they knew that meant captivity and exile. The good news of Jesus came to Joe. Now, God's goal has always been something beyond what they thought it was, right? Like there's always this picture of like, hey, I'm not just going to free you from exile, but I'm going to be with you. I'm going to come walk with you from the exile. And it's not just going to be y'all. Remember back to the genealogy, genealogy of Jesus. So it's not just for the Jewish people, which was the shocker for them all. But God was like, no, I want to be with all my people, multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-national, multi-cultural. This is the display of God and it was commanded from the beginning. He's working out the story right here and right now for these people. You see, there was markers throughout scripture for them to see it. But just like us, we kind of miss stuff sometimes. Right. Genesis 12, it says he tells Abraham, leave everything that you know and go out into the world. And here's what I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you you're going to be a blessing to all the nations. That was their goal 
is that God would empower his people, be present with his people, and they'd be a blessing to all the people. And then you, you zoom in to Jesus' story and his line and see that, oh, the Gentiles are included in Jesus' family. And then you move on to, to Matthew 28, where he says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Then you see in John 3, 16, where it says, so God so loved the world, as we just quoted. The world is not one group of people, but the whole thing, about 8 billion or so, right? So God so loved the world. And so there's this story of God wants to save all people from the power of sin and death. And here, let me tell you something, just a secret. Like, listen up real quick. If you don't hear anything else, he came to save you. It's not just everybody else. It's you as well. So for me, that's what Advent brings to my attention. That God really did, God did good on his promise. Like, despite the human flaws and the depravities that we face, this, despite all of the, the issues and all the things that we've gone through in life, regardless of the baggage that you've brought in today, God made good on God's promise. The serpent's head has been stomped out. And just for clarification, in Matthew, he gave an, a footnote to say, hey, by the way, this Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, is Emmanuel, God with us. See, I'm glad he put that there because he, he could have simply just stopped that. Hey, the Holy Spirit came, saved you from your sins. Now you're forgiven. Now just go about your business. No, no, no. He said, no, no, no. I'm the goal. God is the goal. We get God out of the deal. Not just forgiveness, not just our sins wiped away, but God in the deal. And I think about it like it is so hard to imagine the agony, I think, for some that the Jewish people were going through before Jesus came on the scene. Like you think about Mary and Joe and all, and all the things that they, that they felt inside. This angst of pain, but knowing that there's hope on the other side, possibly. This angst of, angst of like, even, even disappointment to a degree. Of like, we still gotta go through hard stuff in order for the good to come, right? So, so here, let me give you an example. So it's been three and a half years or so, uh, summer, June 2020. We had been waiting for about nine months because my mom had been diagnosed with stage four cancer. So stage four means terminal, it's done, right? They tried some stuff, it wasn't working, it was just making it worse, right? And I remember, so I'm a Christ follower, I love Jesus, I've seen miracles, been a part of miracles, love miracles, believe in God's healing, praying for that consistently. But at the same time, watching my mom in angst and misery and losing her mind put a different kind of angst in me. It was this, this hopefulness that it wouldn't be much longer. Like that, it, it was probably one of the most miserable moments of my life where I'm like, on one end, God, I just want you to do something really beautiful here. But on the other end, if you're, if you're not going to do that, please just take her home. Please just come now. Be present now for her. And he did, June 2020. And so I don't know if you felt that angst before, though, where it, it just kind of rips you open, right? Where you, you're just waiting with this unquenched thirst for something to happen. Like, you, you, your hope is like, man, I just want a hero in the story. 
I want a super person to come in and rescue this thing. Something to be made right in this scenario. You hope and you wish and you long for something to make sense of the world that's around you. Now, imagine that that hope, that desire, that angst like that had just been passed on to you from generation to generation that someday, baby, someday things will be made right. Someday that hope will be relinquished. Someday that angst will be released. And then appears to these two teenagers, the Savior's here. The angel comes and says, the Savior's here, the Savior's in your womb, and says, hey, Christmas is here right now. The present is here, and you get to experience it now. You see, I love Christmas so much. I used to can't stand it. I used to let everybody ruin it for me because I used to go for Black Friday, and people running people over and all this stuff, trying to steal the little toys from me. People Like, your daughter ain't going to care well about that, that Barbie tomorrow. Like, but... What I realized, though, the thing that makes Christmas special is not the presence, but the presence of God. And when I think about it, when I when I really start to, like, come into this season of Advent, I just it just breaks me and says, you know what? In the messiness of life, in the brokenness of life, it's real. It's real. Like as you and me, flesh and blood right here, it's real. It really happened. Like. Even if you're coming in with some skepticism, 2000 years ago, something broke. Remember that real powerful empire that lasted 400 years? It broke. All because of some teenage couple who had a baby. That baby grew up to be about 33 years old, died on the cross and said, hey, I am the son of God, resurrected from the grave by 500 or so people who actually saw it, went about themselves talking about this man so much so that the Roman Empire crumbled under the pressure of their influence. Nothing was able to snuff out the plan of God for his word and his gospel, his good news of the Messiah to continue going. It's real. So why? Why do I say all that? Well, because the story is still being written. Right? Like the story isn't over yet. That wasn't the only, that was just the first advent. Like Jesus promised all of his followers up until the point of his death that, hey, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come again. There is a second advent where God not only frees us from the exile of the power of sin and death in this life, but in the next one redeems all things and makes all things new. And so we're still waiting. Okay? We're still waiting. So here's our response. Verse 24 and 25. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and gave him the name Jesus. So the only proper response to the first advent in anticipation of the second is obedience. Here's what I mean. Joe woke up, jumped out of bed and made a decision that he was going to do what was right. Right. It ain't going to be popular. Like I said, everyone's going to look at this dude like he did something wrong. Everyone's going to look at this dude like he's continuing to do something wrong. 
And yet he said, no what? I'm going to stand up and do the honorable thing here. And I'm going to be the stepdad of the son of the universe. <laughs> right? Like, that's a wild scenario that Joe's response was like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be who God has asked me to be even when it's hard. You see, Joe and Mary were, were God's choice of parents. And, and in, the, in the character and the integrity of these people, Jesus had a stepdad who molded the gospel, who modeled the gospel from the very beginning. Self-sacrifice. Obedience to the Father. Like he was willing to sacrifice himself like his stepson Jesus would ultimately do for all of humanity in obedience to cost to himself. You see, when, when God says, hey, I showed up for you, he's not saying now show up for me. He's saying in example, as a model, continue to show up for others. While I continue to tell you that I'm showing up for you now. You see, sometimes it's like, oh, I got Jesus. Now I just need to go be holy. No, no, no. Jesus keeps showing up. <laughs> Jesus keeps showing up in the midst of that. Like we confessed some things earlier. Right. We confess some things earlier and Jesus says, no, I'm going to show up for you. Now keep showing up. Amen. So here's the thing. Obedience to God is not just because I told you so. Obedience to God allows God opportunity to continue the story of the Emmanuel in your life. The God with us. So it's not that hey, I'm going to obey and therefore God shows up. No, no, no. It's in the back and forth because you're going to disobey. <laughs> it's going to happen. It's in the disobey and in the obey when you continue to turn and repent, as my sister used the word earlier, to turn away from that God's presence continues to show up. It's, it's, so in, in the Advent season, there's usually four different themes that, that start to get elevated within that. That's love, peace, joy, and hope. Ultimately, this is God's display of love that he came. I, I say this every Christmas because it just bothers me. The God of the universe, maker of heaven and earth. So my kids just went to the museum of, of the American History Museum this last week with me on Friday. And they, they talked about the expanse of the universe and how it continues to ever expand and all of this stuff. And I'm looking at this and it talks about the Milky Way, which is like a dot on the radar of the entire universe. And... Um, I know I'm going long, so sorry about that. Um, <laughs> but that God, 2,000 years ago, decided to come and be present with humans. And don't get me wrong, y'all cool, I like y'all. But the God of the universe said he wanted to hang with us. And he went through such great lengths to do so, to the point where he became the most defenseless entity on the planet. Here's why I say that. If you've ever seen a baby, you put that baby down, it cannot survive on its own. A baby squirrel has more survivability than any infant human ever does. And the God of the universe came as a baby. It should blow our minds that God would be so reckless with his love to come as a baby. And then beyond that, continue to sacrifice day in and day out. So till he basically committed the ultimate sacrifice on the cross so that we might have life and liberty in him. And we just get to commemorate that on a continual basis. Yes. 